When we can't promise that you'll play, but we can promise you'll get a cell phone call from David Beckham. It's That's MLS, <laughs> a North American soccer podcast yeah. from myself, Andrew Bates, and Nick Thornton. Nick, Hello. how are you? I am doing I'm doing good. I'm doing really good. I'm starting to feel like the off season is heating up, you know, there's nothing, 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 and now all of a sudden I'm trying to learn about a whole bunch of new players. I saw this post from the Whitecaps Twitter account that are like that were like the home opener is just uh, just over a, a month away, and it's like gone. Yeah, but it, I mean, it's it's funny because you hear all these like when they announce the schedule, teams are like, "It's coming soon," and you're like, "Yeah, but not really." And then all of a sudden, you're like, "Oh, it's like pretty soon." <laughs> yeah, it just sort of like uh, speeds all up, and of course, it's speeding up much quicker this year because everything is. Um, everything is advanced to try and make this this uh, schedule work. Mm-hmm. As the number of, the, of teams in the league expand, and now we start off in February. Having right, because a... there, are, there are now officially 782 teams in MLS. <laughs> 40, 49 conferences that will travel a total of 9,000 light years. Um, it's never been a better time to uh, have games in a spaceship, as Vancouver do. <laughs> exactly. I'm really looking forward to seeing expansion side Andromeda FC. Uh plays are out of this world. Okay, roughly roughly on. roughly they'll still be drafting players from Syracuse. <laughs> oh, do we want to start there? Do we want to start with the draft? Let's start with the draft. Well, the MLS draft happened and as we had talked about previously, um they declined to have an in-person a big gala event where people walk up on a stage partially because um, teams have sort of neglected the draft somewhat in, in also partially because um, I, I think it maybe is a little bit easier to produce it this way. It was on the ESPN feed instead of MLS's. So I think that they, you know, the their TV provider still wanted some sort of a show and they got one. Outsource it. <laughs> it was, a st- this was more of a studio show where you had a couple of analysts receiving picks as they were made. And then you also had sort of live remotes to players' houses. Which, okay, what do you, what did you think of that approach? Because I was admittedly not really paying attention to what they were going to do differently. I was sort of expecting we would just get like a run sheet on MLSsoccer.com that would just say who got drafted and that would be it. So I wasn't expecting really much feed at all or if it was it would be like a sort of more um like what's the the house of commons channel Um, oh cpac cpac thank you uh like just a you know a like web camera in the corner of the room watching people talk silently for a few minutes but there was more of a show, but what did you think overall of the format? Well, it reminded me a lot of what they've done in the past for the expansion draft. Mm. It was a it was a very similar studio t- style environment. It was interesting. It's interesting to think of like you know the work then that it takes to get players on the, the TV because as much as you know having such a big you know uh, dog and pony show of having a public event is maybe not necessary. At the same time. You have everybody there. Room. It's a if you, the, the question, I feel like the question with doing a remote is always like, well, whose houses are you going to put remotes in? And what if teams don't draft 
like you know you've talked about the the in all sports the 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 saddest story is that the player that isn't thinks they're going to get drafted and isn't drafted what about the person mm-hmm. who gets a remote in their house a remote tv installation in their house and never gets drafted i don't know if that happened but you did know uh number one in the draft was uh robbie robinson from clemson to miami but number two apparently um nashville drafted jack maher a defender from indiana and uh showed up at his door with the remote which i think (laughs) is great like you know i love a good like gimmick Um, but like that that's pretty good and i feel like it's the right tone as well to hit of of like actually showing a team like kind of cares and is trying to like do something interesting but also just like creates a really kind of lovely moment that was good i think that trying to split screen in david beckham was like regrettable i feel like that part of it came off badly um yeah uh, well, I mean, why at this point anybody thinks anybody needs to hear David Beckham speak ever again is beyond me. <laughs> oh, he's back. Hello? We're all Hello? back. It's it's that time. It's like what the, uh, like, you know, 20, 2011, 2012, all over again. We're getting, we're getting David Beckham. We're getting Thierry Henry. A bunch of players true. that have never been, uh, uh, never been slandered as good on the mic. <laughs> are uh are 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 returning in in managerial or ownership roles um the i kind of tuned in like right around when vancouver made their pick and i felt that especially for the middle rounds it was just sort of a competent draft show they had you know they had uh yeah. um interviews interviews with people it's interesting it's the 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 piece that I always come back to with these is is sort of the even though you don't know whether or not these players are going to feature, um, mm-hmm. probably the top players will. But it's like the, this has become less and less important for teams as a method of player acquisition. But still having like going through the motions is oddly important for the players that are selected, and it, it it's like a weird. There's a weird function for the league itself. Because Thierry Henry gets, um, you know, comes up to, to explain his pick and they spend the first two or three minutes just like getting to talk to him because we haven't seen or heard very much from Thierry Henry. And so all of a sudden you see him in front of this national audience and it's like, hey, before we talk about that, let's just chat. What's been going on with you, man? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it's, it was kind of still kind of. Yeah, no, and I mean, like, I think your assessment is correct and also okay, right? Like, they produced a competent show, um, and that's good. It's, the draft in previous years has been awkward and strange and just sort of unnecessarily, like, a large event that, it seemed like they were always trying to make it a bigger deal than it really was to anyone. Mm-hmm. Which felt kind of out of place because that was, of course, the criticism is you're always like, well, so maybe one or two of these players are going to see playing time. However, um, for Whitecaps fans, of course, we've, we're fairly used to actually seeing our draft picks actually see some field time. Um, and, you know, it, it wasn't all that long ago that a young Tim Parker was selected and is That's now, true. you know, a cornerstone of the Red Bulls backline. So, 
I think sometimes we're we, like MLS tends to, and MLS fans by extension tend to sort of like hang on a past storyline and sort of just like not always move past it as much. Um, but you and I, I think, had both agreed that we wanted to see something happen with the draft. Like we didn't want to just eliminate it entirely. Um, but that's also coming from us where we're just like, eh, it's a good bit of fun. It's nice. Shakes things. <laughs> it's a nice time. I want to see people's moms cry. <laughs> um, but it was, it, so it, it serves a, a function, I think, to also, um, engage fans a little bit in some of the, the kind of the behind the scenes stuff, because of course you don't see what goes into signing players. So. Um, I think getting to see the draft is as close to a sort of look behind the curtain of the Wizard of Oz as you're going to get, really. That's true. Um, I think that in I think that the Whitecap selection you pointed out, um, they had the number four, which uh, was pretty good at, in terms of draft order and, and where they've been picking. You know, you, even though it it's not always the deepest selection, um, four is not a bad place to be in terms of being up there. And the Whitecaps, uh, after the, the number three selection was Dylan Nealis uh, of Georgetown went to Miami again. Miami traded for Cincinnati's pick. And then the Whitecaps picked Ryan Raposo, number four, who is a Canadian winger from Syracuse. Um, they, I mean, we'd always have to, to see how the player fits in um, to make any sort of predictions. But they were, you know, the, the draft broadcast was talking about how he might uh, compliment Lucas Cavallini by having, you know, sort of auxiliary options out on the wing. Mm-hmm. I mean, first of all, it's a great pick because we needed wingers desperately. So I'm glad that their first pick was to find a winger, an attacking midfielder. And I mean, of course, all we're seeing is um, game highlights, but I mean, his stats speak kind of for themselves and the thing that i like about this pick is it does signal to me where i'm like this is absolutely a player who will see playing time and although he may not feature right away at the start of the season in the lineup um you know he's a good age he's obviously physically fit he's pacey he's strong he scores goals like it's ticking a lot of boxes for me and Whereas sometimes draft signings, you're like, well, that's a depth signing. Um, you know, the the kid we picked up last year as a center back. I mean, I think he played, one, made one start maybe, or made a, maybe a couple. Um, but you, when he was signed, you're like, well, and as an example, I don't remember his name. But um, we had we had, this was the second round. With, Brendan McDonough. It was a second Brenda round pick because we right. got rid of ours. Right. Um. But Raposo seems like there's nothing here that would you you're thinking like maybe not immediately the first team, but we have a lot of games, um, and he's going to get chances to to show what he can do, and I could see him you know winning a spot on the team potentially. Um, the Montreal Impact pick was at number nine, Jeremy Kelly from North Carolina, and Toronto FC picked twenty fifth. Um, a forward from Georgetown, uh, Ifuna Nyachi Achara, um, and that was, I guess they played for Chicago Magic. I have a, um, I have a fun Canada fact from this draft that I, that, uh, Sportsnet reported is that there were, there were four Canadians drafted in the top 20, um, Mm -hmm. Alistair Johnston, 
at number 11 for Nashville, Neil Higgins, number 20 for Toronto, um, or sorry, number 19 for Toronto, Dayon Harris, number 20 for RSL. And those three and Raposo all played for Vaughn Soccer Club in Ontario. Right. Okay. I saw, um, I saw Vaughn kind of come up in the news, but I didn't have time to really dig into what the storyline was. So that's this it. is, this is that Ontario youth club that has had some great success in, in developing players before. Um, and indeed developed all of the ones that, uh, received top billing in this draft or the Canadians. Yes. Yeah. There's been a lot of other, uh, comings and goings in the league. Do you have any highlights? Um, a couple, uh, I know one less, well, I guess it's, it's a coming back, um, for Montero. Philly were able to finally get the deal done for that player. Um, for, for which Montero? Not Freddie. Um, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Wishful thinking there, mate. Um, what's his first name? I'm pulling it. Jamiro. Yes. Jamiro Montero, who came in um, from FC Mets and immediately did well, um, but was on loan pretty quickly. Philly wanted to sign him, but he had a huge price tag, so they spent the last few months trying to talk that price tag down, which they were able to do, but they still did for a record, uh, club record of $2 million. Um, so, needless to say, he'll be a DP. But... It also kind of plays into just this, the project that Philadelphia has. Coming off of a pretty good season, you and I had said they probably don't need to do too much, nor should they. And immediately a bunch of players left. And there were a whole bunch of transfers and not a lot of players coming in. So Montero is a really, really key piece. (laughs) Montero is a really, really key piece of rebuilding... Um, not rebuilding, but strengthening what Philadelphia had last year and keeping some of the key pieces there. I definitely agree with that. And and I'm very interested to see, and this has been pointed out, of of another team breaking its club record this window. Um, Mm -hmm. People have been pointing out that signings are being made and, and signings are being made by teams that don't always make big splashes like Vancouver and like Philadelphia. Mm hmm. And seemingly, I I think also doing them um, in the right way as well. Like it's players who are a good age um, and players who are also have a little bit more of a a proven track record than Mm. than some of the signings that you traditionally see in MLS. Or, I mean, I'm thinking maybe specifically here about the Whitecaps, where it's not that they don't spend the money. We've seen them spend money on huge salaries. Um, it's that they're often doing it with players that they're really taking a big gamble on that haven't necessarily proven themselves in their home country or with their, their club that they're currently at Yeah, and brought in on these big, you know, salaries that then they just sort of flounder, um, in MLS. So for me, this is a really, really key piece for Philadelphia and obviously they've still got some defensive holes to fix, but I, I was starting to wonder, like, what are they just going to have to rebuild? Um, and it sounds like probably spent a lot more money than they wanted to, but they knew that they had to keep this player. Portland signed Yemi Chara, who is a, a 28-year-old Colombian winger who was playing in Brazil. I think another part of those, another one of those players that are young and but also has gotten 
some uh, some experience with in playing in those leagues. Yeah, and again, like that, like twenty seven to twenty nine year age. Like, I mean, yes, you're buying players in their prime, and so they're going to come a little bit more expensive. Um, however, you've got players who are hitting their prime. <laughs> that for me is the big thing, rather than drafting players who are too young or you know maybe just slightly over the hill of what they're going to be able to produce um at their top levels 28 is a great age and of course he gets to join his bro well the thing that also what what if you what do you think about um we are hearing that in conjunction uh the athletic reported that as well as cba talks one of the things that's going on in the league right now is a discussion of um trying to put a requirement that at least one of the uh your three designated players that a team signs um has His to be also plays on the team no yes no <laughs> that they have to be under 23 um oh with the idea that if you don't have an under 23 designated player um the money that you can spend on your three designated players is capped at 1 million plus the salary maximum which would have been in the in the in the realm of like uh uh 1.53 million this year. That is just the most MLS way to try to solve a problem that's not really a problem. <laughs> that's how that's what I think of that. Like why not just add a fourth DP spot and say it has to be under 23? Well, they're trying to I think there's like the the article explains that there's kind of like two forces at work they want teams to be spending younger and teams that are at the lower end on the salary level would like to maybe have a little um a little pullback i feel now none of this has actually mm-hmm. happened but the part of right. the part of the reason why is because the teams that are on the lower end don't want to be buying four dps the mm-hmm. they don't want to be buying three they want to be buying two and a half or or <laughs> or whatever. I think that if you look at the the ages of the players that are being signed in this window, my thought on this is I would have maybe if you wanted to mandate a youth player uh, like a youth level that maybe you would be better uh suited um setting that at 28 or 29 or 30. Hmm. I know that's not really the same level as like international. There are no U29 teams, but I feel that you're still getting a bargain player that you could develop if you're getting them at 26 or 27. I Potentially, I, I agree. I mean, I think maybe like 25 is a compromise. Yeah. Like, you know, 27, 28, you're getting into again. They're, they're like if, you know, a lot of players are hitting their prime between uh you know 27 31 not all some people earlier than that but historically that's kind of what we've seen brought to mls is like the bigger signings right is it's players who are in their 30s um likely not going to be producing at the same level internationally or um with their in most cases european club but can come to mls and still maintain that same level of output or close to and maybe extend their careers by a little bit um, and nobody's going to complain that you get a player who comes in and scores bunches of goals. Mm-hmm. I just, it still seems to me an awfully complex thing to try to address um, 
uh, again a problem that I'm sure yeah the the clubs with with less money are are griping about a little bit but you know as uh, especially as we saw last year like I mean yes the big big money DPs can make a difference but LAFC doesn't have three Carlos Velas they only have one you know and I mean I don't know I, I, I under 23 player can still cost you a crap load of money. So I, I still, I guess to me, it's sort of like a, I get the, the logic behind it. It still seems complicated and like it's not actually solving the problem. That's true. And I think that the, um, the big albatross hanging over everybody's head right now is the CBA and the fact that it hasn't been, uh, handled yet. It's in negotiations. I'm seeing the, uh, the quote from uh, Sounders GM uh, Garth Lagerway and uh, from four days ago that like mm-hmm. essentially the club is having trouble preparing for the season because they don't know how much money they're going to be able to spend. Which true, fair, fair point. Um, and and maybe it'll be a little bit. I've seen people say you know just discard, discard Tam altogether. However, it feels like. The even though it's like the addition of Tam has been weird, um, the it's almost and this is I'm talking about things that you could maybe change in the CBA that would affect this this DP situation because essentially like Tam has been creating multiple DPs for 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 teams that are using it, but at the same time, well, exactly. Yeah, you're you're saying. Sorry, I, I said, yeah, exactly, and then I choked, so it made it sound like I was going to say more. <laughs> um, the the fact is that, like, MLS started with this trade and picks-based system where you were, were mm-hmm. trading for players and for, like, you know, um, roster-based enhancements. Um, mm-hmm. But we, but uh, as weird as Tam is, it has sort of provided an avenue for MLS transfers to normalize towards paying money for players like the rest of the world. Mm. Yeah. No, I know in a way, absolutely. So it'd be weird. Like if you were to get rid of Tam, you should just, you should just sell players like everyone else. Like if you, and have that be an option if you were going to get rid of Tam, because there is that, uh, that benefit as well. Um, Mm -hmm. There's just so many little, so many little uh, ins and outs of of um, of the league's rulebook. That's, that's putting it lightly. Yeah. And a new a new person that has to deal with that at the Whitecaps is their new CEO that they hired. Yeah, and admittedly, when they first announced this, I was like, "Whatever, I don't care about CEOs and business people." And then I was like, wait a second, back that up. I, I might care about the signing of CEOs and business people. Um, and like, I'm kind of impressed that the Whitecaps seem to actually be making some moves here in ways that matter. Yeah. Um, you know, bringing Axel Schuster in, first of all, was, uh, I think, sort of a coup for the team. This is some, like, undoubtedly, just unquestionably very high caliber uh, individual with a ton of experience and like from the right size of club as well. And then they go and bring a guy in from Roma. Mark Panis. Pan? I don't, I don't know how you say it. 
I don't know either. <laughs> uh, uh, my first thought, he had, he had worked in uh, administration with Roma and with the New York Knicks. My first thought when I saw him is, um, how did we sign Sean from The Good Place? Oh. <laughs> I mean, it, it is true. You sort of forget sometimes that, like, the business side of things, you don't, you sort of expect interesting looking people when you're signing players, and then it's uh, a CEO, and you're like, oh, well, you could be anybody. Well, I mean, like, let's, uh, I'm trying to, to, to what, what's the name? Mark Evan Jackson is not a, a boring looking person. No, no, no. Um, but uh, uh, I think that it could be really good. It seems like it really does seem between those two signings that, you know, in the back room, they're hiring people who um, have a, a sports track record. I don't know if this is entirely supposed to replace Bob Leonard Doozy, who is the club president. Mm. Um, but I think that in both this signing and the athletic director signing, it's like the one thing that I always thought when, when you know, people were debating Bob's legacy is that other than running, you know, being the director of this company or this is like being a community figure, it's like the, this was his experience at being good at this. You know what I mean? And this is a, this is somebody who has an established sports track record. And I'm really easy to see, really eager to see, not that Leonard Doozy had, you know, given a lot to the club and, and not hadn't learned a lot from working with Canada and working with the club. I'm interested to see what this, um, how this changes the club's approach overall. Yeah, well, and it was interesting to hear them talk about like uh, other market, like expanding into other markets and generating fan bases elsewhere. Mm -hmm. And I also love that, like one of the first things he said, which is a little ambitious, but you got to start somewhere, was him talking about how, you know, a few decades ago they could pack. Uh, 40,000 people into a Whitecaps match. And that was when Vancouver was a much smaller city. And so having the room to grow in the stadium and, and sort of having designs on that, um, I think is something that has been sorely underutilized by the club where they just really haven't known how to grow. And um, it, it's not just done through player acquisition. The other thing I like to see is that like he's he's on Twitter, he's engaging with fans. Like it's a little you know, handshake and kiss the baby kind of thing. But God, it's just so nice to have like a warm body that cares. He's a great poster. <laughs> yeah. Which is what you need. Like that's his job. It's true. But that's not something we've had. I was going to sort of, I was, I think that you're right. That the, the, I think that filling the bowl is a great, even just as sort of a long-term goal is a better, you know, everybody sort of mocked the Paul Barber top 25 clubs in the world goal mm. um yeah. but that's a very achieve like even though right now it kind of seems out of reach that's actually an achievable goal there's a lot of people in the lower right. mainland yeah exactly and you know it's also something that you don't need to try to do right away mm -hmm. but even just recognizing in a tangible way that you you have i mean first of all you've got the lower bowl so like let's try to fill that mm. and I like, too, that the things he's talking about, it wasn't just about player signings. It's about what's the game day experience. Yeah. And, I mean, this year, for a lot of reasons, that was impacted. But, like, going to Whitecaps games sort of became like going to a wake. Like, outside of the march to the match, there's really no atmosphere. Um, 
and and just seemed to be like nobody really quite had a cl- like who was attending matches and what they might like to do and always seeming to try to cater to a market that just was not there the thing that i found was weird this about the some of the the games that i attended this season when they opened up that beer garden in the plaza of nations yeah. i thought the i thought that it was good but I thought that it was weirdly separate from like all of the stuff that's traditionally a part of the game day experience. You know what I mean? Like I really yeah. had to choose between like, uh, uh, did I, was I able to do it? I think it's like you, you kind of do have to choose between, am I going to do the March to the Match or am I going to go to the Plaza of Nations? Cause they're on opposite sides of the arena. Mm-hmm. And one is obviously the fan base thing that I think is important and good to, to, encourage but it's also you know the the part of the building where all the stuff usually is it's like you know going inside and hanging out for a while or staying in the beer garden until the last possible moment and then going into the the bowl you know what i mean yeah yeah i agree and that's the thing is it's just like poor utilization of space poor planning um you know sometimes people criticize the like sort of effort to win over families I think that's fine. I think it, it's something that it's a market that you want to, to definitely do, but it does all kind of have like just a disjointed kids camp feel sometimes where you're not really sure why anything is happening and why it's not really happening together. That's fair. I mean, even, even the autograph signing booth that they have when it's, you know, whatever players injured that week is signing things or the new signings are there. That's a great bit of PR, but it's just kind of like stuck off to the side. And it's kind of hard to tell what's actually going on there until you get close. And it seems weird that that like, could be such a huge point of building hype and, it, and it's not utilized better. So all of that to say, I'm, I'm genuinely excited. And this is the first like club signing, maybe Schuster a little bit where I'm like, yeah, maybe I should buy season's tickets. Like, and then I'm reminded, like, yeah, give everything. It's time to grow. Just but. wait until the Whitecaps sign Julian Gressel. That might not happen. That might not happen. But I just uh, it probably won't happen. But I, I on on the record, if Gressel comes to Vancouver, that office is getting a call from me, and I'm signing. Bold, up. bold. I think it's great. I think it's something that's worth secreting. It ain't gonna happen. Trying, it ain't gonna happen. I think it's worth something uh, worth trying to secret it into the universe. Um, exactly. Caller, done it before. I we talked a little bit about Nicholas Benazay last uh, episode, and I think yeah, <laughs> that has uh, come to a head where um, Colorado traded, I think, with some gam for um, the rights to Benazay, and then paid the rest. Uh, paid kind of, I guess, what his, whatever his release would have been to um, the club Queen Gop that he was being loaned from in France. So they kind of did a sign and trade, or a trade, gotcha. trade and sign, a trade and sign, and he's for sure going there. He's going there. He's in Colorado now. Oh. I still think, and I, I was, you know, went over this, this, uh, a, a big part of this is as we discussed last week this idea that he um, had a maximum number of games that he could start in the regular season before he was automatically signed that like right. Toronto tiptoed around. I could kind of see this coming back to bite Toronto. Like I think that he was, was successful in the games that he played and that he could end up being very successful for 
um, for Colorado. And, you know, maybe, maybe Colorado could be more successful, but also like, mm. um, I think that there is a possibility of looking back and being like, you had that player. You could have just signed that player and you decided that you were going to money ball the, the, the salary cap that you didn't want to pay him the amount of money you would have had to pay him. That somebody else did. And I feel like it is potentially going to be a success for them. Mm-hmm. Um, the other, the big silly season uh, announcements that I've seen, um, these could end up also extremely not happening, but let me just float them out there anyways. <laughs> these uh, are the trades that may extremely not happen. <laughs> Luka Modric to DC United. <laughs> I saw this one. <laughs> I had a gi- I had a giggle over that one too, where I was like, mm, "Okay, he's kind of okay. low enough in the rankings, the, the 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 pecking order that you can think about it." Although it is wild because he was one of the top players in the world not very long ago. Um, he really, no, absolutely. I mean, he would really, really have to want to come though. Like uh, his salary, I'm sure. <laughs> it's just like, oh boy. Mexican star Chicharito to LA Galaxy. Which, I don't, I mean, I know that MLS loves to fan the flames of rumors as well, which doesn't help when your, like, official news source is, like, kind of jumping on board with the silly season things. I think it's a ridiculous idea because the, the target seemed, if you can even call it that, the target club seems to be LA Galaxy. And... I mean, I know LA Galaxy likes to throw money around on useless acquisitions, but this is one where I'm like, why would you sign? Like, why? Like, if you're going to spend a bunch of money, I just don't understand the logic behind, and hopefully they're not going to do it. But bringing in a player who's well past his prime, who has not proven that he can still do what he used to be able to do, when you could spend the same amount or less on a, a younger, better player <laughs> like, that's just not as well known. Like, go go the South American route and just find the guy that nobody up here knows and, you know, pay him the same, you know, three or four million or whatever he wants and get a player that is going to be around for a little bit and score you goals versus a Chicharito where you're like, it's been a fair number of years since he's been good. <laughs> like bless his cotton socks but uh proven track pr- proven track record he does not have right and, and it's interesting i think in the case of when you say why i think for both teams they're um they have been defined in recent uh seasons by their signings of big name players and they're looking for players to fill that gap i think that luka modric is a very even though you know you I don't know what his age level is now, but he's a very interesting one in terms of the fact that he um, is in, we've seen success from older European players that are in the playmaking role. Mm-hmm. That's been, that's been something that's worked. And so that's an interesting one. Now the idea, uh, the idea of um, the galaxy trying to figure this all out by, by bringing in just an out and out striker. Uh, and just like sort of continue their let's hope he figures this all out for us strategy with a player that is not on the same level it's problematic and do they still have uh do they still have christian pavon i was (laughs) 
We're on the same wavelength. I'm just pulling up their roster right now. <laughs> I believe Pavon has stayed, yes. Well, then that might... Um, yes, Christian Pavon's still there. That might be all they need, to be honest. I, I don't know that you need to go much, you know, uh, much more extensive than that. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think probably you would, but maybe, again, like, get a player for, you know, a few hundred thousand dollars that's 24 and seems promising. Like, I'm just waiting for the Galaxy, like, just take that chance, you know, <laughs> find a player that is young and still has, like, a ceiling to hit. Why are you picking players that, like have long since passed that it, i mean ibra is different <laughs> that one's fine sure sure have your ibra but chicharito to me is i mean and the best part is the rumor still seems very unlikely that he will come but it just is such a boneheaded idea that like that would be the quote-unquote big name signing however it might be from a marketing perspective because Chicharito is still a very popular player in Mexico. That's a great point. Uh, um, LA has know. not learned this lesson yet. What makes you think they'll have learned it now? Exactly. Exactly. That's that's what makes me think it's possible. <laughs> um, the, uh, this is... Uh, I'm trying to think here. Do you have any more um, MLS... Uh, more MLS news that you were interested in talking about? The only other one was just that um, Bradley Wright Phillips has been training with LAFC. Right. And it's interesting because he removed himself from the MLS re-entry draft, which was an interesting move. Um, and there's been rumors or reports that uh, New England had the chance to sign him and chose not to. And I'm less interested ultimately in like, will he sign for a club in MLS or won't he? I mean, it could happen. But I just think it creates this very interesting problem when you have this, you know, marquee player that is now without a club. And there's so many rules that govern what an MLS club can do, where I feel like BWP kind of rolled the dice here and could come up quite short. And that there's just no club willing to pay him the salary demands. Um, and I don't think they're necessarily completely unreasonable salary demands. But clubs have to work with this within a certain structure as well. Um, and he's a player that spent most of last season injured. And like, it's, it's kind of, it's a dilemma, right? Because you're like, well, it'd be great to have like 2016 or 2017 BWP. But is that what we're going to get? That's right. That's a big, big whack of salary to be spending on that player. It's Do, true. He'd be signing as a free agent, right? Well, he's clearly taken control of where he wants to go. Like, I don't know what whether or not his goals are that he wants to be the, the focal point of a team, which I don't think he was, like, for New York last year. Mm-hmm. Um, or if he wants to go to somewhere that he thinks there's a, a fairly good chance that he could win. Um, mm -hmm. it's, it's hard to know what it, like, obviously he doesn't really want to be, um, pulled into a rebuilding project. 
And and yeah. so I think it's really kind of up to him. You're saying that he could come up short, and that is true. New York has put both this player and and Luis Robles, who eventually did line with land with Miami, in an interesting position, where mm-hmm. you know they got to the point where potentially their their salaries or even their sort of you know reputations outweighed their present day usefulness. Um, but they both weren't ready to retire yet. Now, I'm not saying that necessarily about Robles because I think he's going to have a great year in Miami. I think it's going to be, um, I think that he's going to have a chance to, you know, uh, display himself at a marquee club and, uh, in that he's really going to be hoping, uh, for a great first year. But the question Mm -hmm. of what Bradley, where Bradley Wright Phillips slots in is going to be an interesting one. Yeah, well, and I mean, it's interesting because there's been very few, despite the fact that he's training with LAFC, very few rumors about that being a landing place for him, probably because LAFC has seven uh, forwards currently on their roster. Might have something to do with that. I love that he lands at a club like that because it's just like, if you're sort of a like a wandering forward, they've just sort of got a, they have an open door policy, just like, we'll take <laughs> all the forwards we can get. If you want to come in and just sort of kick around the ball for a while, we want that. The best part is, is like forwards generally in MLS, you really have one or two playing at any given time. And in terms of you almost never see a 4-3-3 that's like three true forwards. So it's usually max two. Um, And like a lot of clubs will carry four as kind of an insurance policy, right? Mm-hmm. knowing that they're playing with a formation that plays one. So the fact that they've got seven and only six midfielders currently on their roster, which is like midfield where you've got, you know, anywhere from four, well, usually at least four and then possibly five or six midfielders playing. They have just enough for like a full lineup of defensive and attacking mids, sort of, but they've got seven forwards. It'll be interesting to see how they bounce back from what happened to them last year. And, and certainly lots of forwards is the is the going. Well, actually, that was like the first year strategy that didn't pan out too well. But, you know, it's all about, I guess, seeing who fits in where. The impact well, of. The... What were you saying? I just want to add a, a quick little note uh, just while we're talking about LAFC, which is also that we had talked about um, Tyler Miller not being the strongest point of the team. He's gone. Um, and the only goalkeeper they currently have is one they just drafted. So interesting that, or no, sorry, I don't think he was a draft pick, um, but uh, a younger player that they brought in. So LAFC currently also sitting with only one goalkeeper on the books who doesn't really look like a starting goalkeeper either. We're coming so close to the opening game of the league and we don't have the CBA, but also a lot of teams are still, I feel, missing key pieces that are going to define their season. It's yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? it? I mean, I know that the the season is coming up earlier this year than previous years, but yeah, without a collective bargaining agreement and without a number of clubs without players, I mean, you know that the players will come. It's just a question of who those players will be. But there is still a feeling of like, what what is this all going to look like this year? The uh, the first. Canadian Premier League player uh, to join MLS looks like it's going to be um, Calvary's Joel Waterman, who uh, is 
is rumored. Uh, one soccer has confirmed it through Kurt, Lar- uh, Kurt Larson. It's reported that uh, Waterman is going to be going to the Montreal Impact. Oh. I've seen a I've seen a hundred thousand number uh, flying around for that. Which is yeah. Which, that's good. I find that to be interesting. Isn't you it? see, I think so. <laughs> I think the number, I think the number is good. I find that to be interesting. It's almost like the, the interplay between the leagues in almost in a sense, Canadian premier league has been off in its own little bubble. Um, people have talked about doing signings, you know, from Calvary who looked so great all year, but, but haven't done it. Um, and so it's mm-hmm. interesting to see a move like that. You've got to think that the league MVP, Christian, uh, Tristan Borges is going to move out of, um, Forge FC. They've been, uh, yeah. they've been talking about that possibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's gonna, it's gonna be interesting. I mean, I hadn't even really thought too much about would there be CPL to MLS moves this year? I certainly wasn't expecting many, so. Um, we'll see how it all shakes out, but Borges and watch. Borges and Amber Didich played in the um uh in this recent set of Canada games, right? Yeah, which was uh which was interesting. They played uh they played Barbados um twice. They won four one and four nothing. Um, they're gonna play Iceland on Wednesday. This is um interesting test coming into this 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 coming year. Everybody is focusing on, you know, qualifying for the the new version of the Hex and CONCACAF World Cup standings, which is just a, a huge um, cluster muck because of all of the, uh, the you have to qualify. They, they pick, there's like one normal round for the top five or the top six based on your FIFA ranking. And then everybody else goes into uh, like sort of a second chance saloon for one single spot or a half spot or what have you. Mm-hmm. So it's super fun and really easy to follow. I, I think it makes the game more engaging. <laughs> <laughs> I saw the I saw I saw the highlights for one of them. Um, Canada Soccer did broadcast one of them on the site, and I think the Wednesday game is also going to be up um, as well. Um, you know, they were playing around Barbados pretty sickly, as you would kind of expect them to do. They could, the one goal mm-hmm. they conceded came from a, a dumb looking penalty. There was a, a nice bicycle kick. Who got that one? Uh, let me look here. Canada. I wrote that. I didn't, I meant to double check. I had the number, but I meant to double check. Uh, I know, I know Rusty had a goal and an assist in one of the games, which is good. Whoever number 13 is. I'm <laughs> the uh but it th- that looks good. The other big moves some some teams are making uh you know big to medium sized moves with um Halifax has picked up Louis Bailan Goyette from Valor, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh Ka is gonna be the new coach of Pacific, which is wild to see. He uh, was the former Vancouver Whitecaps defender who ended up in the coaching setup, and I guess is uh, is moving on in his coaching journey. Yeah, um, which is great for Pamudaka. I did not expect that he would be like a guy that stuck around in the Victoria Vancouver area, but here we are. 
Absolutely. The uh, the other we discussed this a little bit after we went off the air last week. The um the other Vancouver Whitecap alumni news is that Fraser Aird got fired from his Scottish uh yeah. Scottish <laughs> yeah. former Vancouver Whitecap Fraser Aird got uh dismissed from his his Scottish first division side for um making a rude gesture in the crowd uh in the away end at a Celtic Rangers game. Um, which of course which, he played for Rangers at one point. And then he, then which that I love the, like, that's gotta be a, well, it's not probably not in Scotland, but like, it's got to be a relatively new thing to be fired from, for actions that were done at a soccer game as a soccer player, but not while you were playing as you were supporting your former club. The, the one that reminds me, I'm trying to remember who it was, but, there was an MLS player. Uh, my favorite an- analogy to this was the uh, the MLS player who um, called in sick. Or no, he said he had a family emergency and he had to leave the team. And I think it was the Red Bulls. And the Red Bulls said, yes, of course, absolutely. We'll, we'll let you go. Um, do whatever you need to do. And then he was uh, captured in the stands at a French uh, French game in the World Cup. Ouch. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to. Uh, I'm trying to remember because that's just one of my favorite. Uh, that's one of my favorite little anecdotes. But, but yeah, uh, you can get yourself. I, it turns out that you can get yourself in trouble. Uh, Yorkie, Yori Jorkaf is the mm. is the player in question. Um, the is the yeah yeah he was he was playing for the Rebels in 2006. Uh, so you can get yourself in trouble in the stands. You can, uh, sometimes you can even get sent off. Sure can. Um, the, Damn. um, I had some NWSL bits. I think the biggest piece of news that has come out is that, um, the league's president, Amanda Duffy, uh, is going to be leaving the league's front office to work as an EVP at the Orlando pride. Oh, Okay. Which is interesting, of course. In the in the time that she's been sort of an executive at the league in in 2017, they've on they've uh, seen so much growth in a positive direction. A lot of that comes sort of this year with the U.S. Women's National Team getting the 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 exposure bump for the Women's World Cup. But um, I have to think that a lot of the um, a lot of the moves that had been leading up to that had been very positive. So I think they'll they'll miss her in the in the team office. It's interesting to see somebody that's so um, fundamental to the product going to one of the clubs. Club? That's just yeah. that that just feels awkward to me. It's like you know the person that that more than anybody else had a hand in shaping, I guess, the rules. Maybe not the rules, but like how the game, how the league is done, is now going to be. Well, it could be interest as well, right? Like that's true. Just wanting to work at a um i don't want to say a lower level but like a more specific level maybe having a bigger impact in a smaller arena mm-hmm. um and lord knows orlando pride needs some help the movement that so. is uh that's happening um player wise uh orlando is getting some help in terms of uh they're getting emily sonnet for portland oh nice um 
Laura Harvey, who is the uh, was the coach um, in Seattle and moved to Utah to be the the head coach of the Pride, is going to the U.S. Uh, under twenty setup. Mm-hmm. So they'll be looking for someone. Um, Chicago lost Sam Kerr, and they're looking for more uh, attacking options, and they've uh, managed to uh, get Kalia Ojai from Houston, who never wanted okay. to leave, yeah. but has always looked promising and, and kind of maybe hasn't uh, developed at the rate that everybody is expected, but I think does have a lot of potential. Um, so it'd be interesting to see her put into that position. Um Sky Blue made their interim head coach permanent. And then they signed Mitch Port Mitch Purse from Portland. And mm-hmm. they also signed uh they also did a trade with North Carolina for McCall's or Boney. They might be like actually good this year. <laughs> and they still have Carly Lewis. Yeah. I hope so. For a long time. And they're going to be in Red Bull for all the Red Bull Arena for all their games. That's right. So they're making a run. I I just hope so. You know? <laughs> uh, I mean, there's good support for the club. It's, it's just, it's so sad to see when a club is just not being supported in the right ways. From the um, corporate dimension. Ways. From the corporate dimension, exactly. Well, they that looks like it's going to be very good. I'm, um, I'm excited to see where things develop for those teams and, and teams in all the league. I forgot to mention when we were talking about Canadian Premier League is that um, all the CPL team, Campbell teams are going to be dealing with their own preseasons, it looks like. Mm. They had done this group trip to Trinidad and Tobago to play Trinidad and Tobago teams, and that will not be happening a second time. <laughs> Probably because it sounds really expensive. <laughs> work, work the local connections, it's fine. People wanted um, to choose their own op- opposition, I think, as well. Right. Which... Seems only fair. Um, it's interesting too. Um, Jonathan David has been attracting a lot of attention. Yes, um, the young Canadian who, who certainly, if you're uh, a fan of the Canadian men's national team, you're no stranger to. But not, probably not a lot of people who are following Ghent, um, who see him as a big name player. But he's been making moves, scoring goals, getting a few assists in there, and there's been. I mean, the list, every time I look at the list, there's different teams on it, but um, Porto, Olympique Lyon, Ajax, like lots of big name clubs who are interested. So it'll be uh, very interesting indeed to see if anything develops there Um, and, you know, possibly another pretty substantial move. I think he's rated at around $22 million. So um, we'll see. He really popped up as as being a player that, that it has a lot of potential between him and, and um, you know, the, the interest that people have had in, in Cavallini over the last couple of years. And in certainly Alfonso Davies is doing great things in Germany. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was saying before we went on air, if you have not seen the Alfonso Davies goal from the friendly that he played in, uh, I believe last week, you should go look it up because it just it'll bring back some fond memories of his time in MLS, of just pantsing people in the midfield and uh, running into the box, has a nice little layoff. And then the pass comes back to him and he slots it in calm as you like. And you think, well, OK, this could work out well for the kid in Germany. <laughs> <laughs> it 
it's great to see. And, you know, it's interesting to see, um, where players, cause ultimately there's so much negative attention sometimes to MLS, but like the, the players that are leaving MLS are having success in the places that they're going. Absolutely. Um, yeah, that's such a relief. <laughs> didn't Miguel, didn't in the last like month or two, uh, Almiron, you were saying this last week, actually. I'm trying to remember when, when yes. Almiron scored his first goal. Miggy update. Almiron scored his first goal, uh, I believe last week for Newcastle and he scored again this week. Nice. Everything everybody said, including me, was once Miggy gets one, the goals will come. It did take over a full calendar year, I believe, but <laughs> it happened. And apparently Newcastle fans have, have loved him anyway because of just his his work rate and what he's done for the team. So um, it, that's good to see that he's not been viewed as a player that hasn't come in and lived up to his potential. Um, I think everybody kind of knew it would take some time, but... Uh, you know, that could be another big thing. If, if Mickey starts to bash home a few more, uh, it'll probably be hard for Newcastle to hold on to him. And they spent a boatload of cash on him because <laughs> that deal was like 30 million, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, it was a it was a, a heavyweight deal. I don't know the number exactly, but they, they signed it was up a like sizable a... donation to the MLS unregistered charity group. <laughs> I don't know if that's true. Allegedly, allegedly. <laughs> To the allegedly, they paid so much Tam. <laughs> we can't disclose how much money they spent um, until uh, the next time that we speak. Um, where can we find you online? You can find me online on Twitter and Instagram. Oh yeah, and if you <laughs> and if you like. If, if you have any sense at all, I'm so excited I can't even say the words. Why did it take that much for me to remember? Um, you can find me on t- Instagram and Twitter at That's So MLS. And I just honestly kind of needing content today to be like, we're going to episode up soon. I uh, was looking through my phone to be like, what video clips do I have from Whitecaps matches? And I found the nick romando's like last match in there and it's just him walking off the field so i was like i'll throw that in there and just tag him so people see that it's nick romando and nick romando liked the tweet nice so my life is complete um it, do the smart thing be like nick romando absolutely and do follow us on twitter and instagram where can we find you you can find me online at teammates, www.team-bates.com. You can find this podcast at thatsomls.com. And you can find us wherever great podcasts are found. So please rate, review, and subscribe. Please do those things. And uh, we'll be coming up with all kinds of good stuff for the our new season as well. I mean, we don't really pause, but I feel like every season we kind of start off and do some things differently. So look forward to uh, more shows and new content from us as we approach the new season. And until next time, don't get sent off from the stands and from your own club. But for supporting a different club. (laughs) 